Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Fernando. Hi, Ben. And Travis Irvine. Hello, Ben. We have a very special episode for you guys today. This man we're about to speak with. I love his tweets, and I love his books, Laboratories of Autocracy. This is a person that you know personally, Travis Irvine. He's out of Ohio. His name is David Pepper, and I'm just super excited to hear his thoughts on how do we save this democracy? Yes, uh, David Pepper was interviewed extensively for an article that came out in the New Yorker recently called State Legislatures Are Torching Democracy. Very straightforward straightforward article by the great Jane Mayer and uh, David Pepper, the former Ohio Democratic Party chairman. We get into all his credentials before the interview, um, but he highlights just how in trouble we are. We focus a lot on the big federal races, Mm -hmm. Senate, Congress, President, um, but state legislatures all around the country, not just in Ohio where I am from and where David Pepper's from, are in trouble. And we need to, basically, he shines a light into what is happening there and, more importantly, what we can do about it. Absolutely. We we found ourselves getting into this trouble and we can get ourselves out of it. Gosh darn right. Enjoy this conversation with David Pepper. All right, now we are joined for our interview for this episode. I'm very excited. Some people, Fernando, as you know, at the Ryman Theater, our show in Nashville a few uh, months ago, said that sometimes we talk about Ohio too much on this show, and I take credit for that. I take credit for that. Um, And just to drive the point even further (laughs) home, we are joined by a fellow Ohioan. I'm very excited to have him. He recently got national attention in a fantastic New Yorker article called State Legislatures Are Torching Democracy, written by the fabulous Jane Mayer, a wonderful journalist in her own right. We are joined by David Pepper. I do want to give his background. It's very extensive. He is a native of Cincinnati, Ohio, a graduate of the Yale Law School. And of course, while at Yale, he wore Ohio on his sleeve. I love it when any Ohioan can represent Ohio well, especially (laughs) at Ivy League institutions. It's not easy to do. Um, And he since went on to become a Cincinnati councilman, a Hamilton County commissioner, as well as a candidate for Ohio auditor and Ohio attorney general with his quirky campaign slogan, just add pepper. I also love quirky (laughs) campaign slogans, so that's always a bonus in my book. Since then, he became uh, 
the chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party from about 2014 to 2020. And he's also an accomplished author. And we're going to talk about some of his books on here, including a book he called uh, Laboratories of Autocracy, which I believe was written a few years ago. But the themes are becoming very prevalent, very current, very fast. Uh, He also has a new book coming out. A simple choice that we will get into, but first and foremost, Mr. Pepper, thank you so much for joining us here on Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Thank you. It's, it's great to be with you. And yeah, uh, uh, as I've done since, for a long time, I do love talking about Ohio. But in this case, oh, for those of you who are not from Ohio, the reason to watch the Ohio story is mm-hmm. just like we used to be a bellwether for sort of moderate politics that got presidents elected. The reason I wrote that book, Laboratories of Autocracy, is What's happened in Ohio is really a bellwether and a case study of what happens when you you basically have an undemocratic state house. It can lock up and all of a sudden your state, as Jane Mayer wrote, becomes far more extreme than even the people of that state. And you see the downward spiral. So the Ohio story is unfortunately relevant to dozens and dozens of states across this country and the entire country at the end of the day. Absolutely. So goes Ohio. So goes the nation, as they used to say. And I agree with you. It's not uncommon right now in our country. I mean, uh, Trump won Ohio by eight points in 2016 and 2020. So I have to constantly explain to people that Ohio used to be a purple state, a swing state, and now we've gone deep red. But at the same time, as you've pointed out, both in your book and in Jane's article in The New Yorker, we're not necessarily deep red. Could you start with um, kind of your beginnings in Ohio politics down in Cincinnati? Hamilton County is an interesting place because it is kind of a red county. There's a lot of richer Republican folks there, but Cincinnati is a blue town in and of itself. So yeah. And so I moved back here after law school. I clerked for a federal judge, a wonderful man. Um, and you may remember, uh, some around the country may remember, Cincinnati went through a really rough patch where we had a number of fatal police shootings in a row. Right. Uh, sort of long before what happened in Minnesota and other places, we had our our sort of moment where we had a crisis of police community relations um, and it boiled over into national boycotts and all that. And so, as, as you mentioned, when I was in law school, I was literally named by my classmates in one class, most likely to be president of the Cincinnati Board of Tourism. Like I would brag <laughs> about Cincinnati all the time. I think that was their way of telling me to shut up. Um, <laughs> sure. But here I'm back in Ohio and I'm like, what the hell's happening to my city? We're, we're, we're falling apart on a national, um, you know, with national spotlight on us. And so that's what I decided to run for city council. I, I didn't I, I didn't think about it as some big political partisan thing. It was more about I care about this town. I grew up in it. I think I can make a difference. So I ran for office. Uh, this was in 2001. And, I, and looking back, it was a far more sort of innocent time politically. I was just looking to do public service. I, right. I honestly wasn't very partisan. Um, I, I was a Democrat, but I got a lot of Republican votes. And and as you said, my first my first slogan was just add pepper and I managed to finish first out of, I think, 26 candidates, which had never been done before. And that, that's what got me started. And I went on to become a two-term council member. I ultimately knocked off a Republican incumbent for the county commission. That was the first time Hamilton County had a red, uh, sorry, had a blue majority. Two out of three of our county commissioners were Democrats. And now, as part of this national trend where suburbs are turning more blue, now Hamilton County is very blue. Mm-hmm. But back then, when I when I won, it was the first time in like decades that we actually had two Democrats on the county commission. So I helped sort of begin the momentum shifting. 
but but just to you know, and this is why it, it may surprise people to read my book now because I'd say it's pretty um, hardcore in terms of what's happening to democracy. Republicans are doing. I started out with a very sort of, you know, hey, let's all get along and do public service mindset. And to, 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 to be honest, that's kind of how it worked at first. Right. But since especially Obama won, uh, and I'm not I'm not a both sides guy. The other side went from being, OK, we can work together to absolutely insane on so many issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. And I saw it when I was in office. And I saw it even more when I started running for statewide office. But when I started, it was it was a different time. And, and I, truthfully, I, could, I was able to work with Republicans on a lot of issues, both at the city and the county level. Um, and and but since then, it's really been, you know, I think I've changed because I've seen just how aggressive they've gotten. I mean, you know, look, look at uh, the loss of Liz Cheney in Wyoming. Um, sure. the, the, the Cheneys are no longer welcome in their in the Republican Party. <laughs> That's sort of what I've lived in my own time in politics, a, a, just a dramatically different party than than the one that I interacted with, you know, in a decent way when I started. Oh, sure. I mean, if you told college age Travis that the Cheneys would finally have their their day of losses in the Republican Party, he'd be very excited about it. But then, you know, obviously right. the update is, <laughs> oh, they've been beaten by crazy or by even more right. evil. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, you made a good point there that Hamilton County, again, home of Cincinnati, one of Ohio's largest cities, one of the top, the big three is a blue county. So let's get into this talk about redistricting and, and kind of what Jane talks about in her article at the New Yorker. We actually actually had Katie Shanahan, the uh, redistricting lawyer uh, expert in Ohio. She was on the show a couple months ago talking Mm -hmm, about, mm -hmm. you know, more or less Ohio's redistricting drama um, that we went through the process. Obviously, you've done a great job touching on it on Twitter for everyone who wants to follow you on Twitter, David Pepper on Twitter. um, And you've done these great whiteboard talks and lectures that have gone viral as well, kind of breaking down the breakdown of democracy. So, um, I believe, you know, Jane highlights that in 2010, that's when there was really a concerted effort from, per your your rhetoric, the other side, the Republicans, to take hold of state legislatures through gerrymandering. And we're not just talking the gerrymandering people most commonly know about congressional districts. Again, Hamilton County, Blue County, but they have two Republican uh, congressmen, maybe even three uh, with the new maps. Um, but let's talk about how that process started, because you kind of had a front seat to that in 2010, 2012, when the Republicans really made a concerted effort to make nationally known um, very gerrymandered districts for the state legislature in Ohio. Yeah. uh, If you compare 2008 and 2012, they're they're very apples to apples years because Obama won Ohio by about the same amount both years. Same with Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan. But the gerrymandering of 11 was so extreme, the most extreme we've ever seen in our country's history, that the same blue states, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, went from having a majority Democratic state house and a majority uh, delegation of Congress to the Congress from those states flipped absolutely upside down. So a blue Ohio in 12, a blue Ohio in eight also meant you had a blue state house mm-hmm. and you had far more Democrats from Cong- in Congress from Ohio than Republicans. Four years later, the gerrymandering was so intense, it was the other way around. So even though Obama won by, I think, around four, the state house was a supermajority Republican state house. And the congressional map was 12-4 Republican Democrat for the entire decade. 
So they basically figured out a system, and this is what Viktor Orban from Hungary would admire and give them credit for, or Putin would be impressed, that no matter what the voters do, even if the voters actually totally disagree with you overall, they create a system where they essentially had predetermined the outcomes in their favor in these uh, in these legislative races through intense gerrymandering. But I want to make a, a point clear. You just hinted at it. The front line in their attack on democracy is not Congress. It's state houses. Right. So for them, right. and, and often the national media frustrates me because when they talk about gerrymandering, they only focus on the Congress. OK, is if that's what the Republicans main goal is. And of course, they want to win the Congress. But m- almost their entire attack on democracy and rights like abortion and other things is through state houses. That's where all the dirty work happens. So for them, it's the gerrymandering of these state houses that is priority number one, because it's from those gerrymandered state houses like Ohio's where they can pass the most extreme bills like the one that made that 10 year old girl go to Indiana to get an mm-hmm. abortion when she was a rape victim. Right. That would not survive if you had fair districts and they know it. So in order to allow their extremism to exist over time, the number one goal they have is gerrymandered state houses. And they and it's a gift to them that the national media and most others only focus on Congress if they focus at all on gerrymandering. But the, the gerrymandered state house is literally the fortress from which they do everything else. And And in 2011, and this is a really important point, not only did they guarantee themselves in all these states a majority, even when they're in the minority, but almost to a person, I go through this in the book and Jane gets into a little bit in her story, almost to a person, they've drawn districts. So not a single member of their majority, their artificially big majority, almost not a single member ever faces a real election. Right. They're literally living in a world with no democracy. And once you don't ever have any accountability to polls, all of a sudden you don't care about public outcomes because you get reelected even if you destroy the schools or reduce wages or give all the money away. And you don't care if you're an extremist, which would cost you in a close district. In fact, being an extremist helps you in this world without democracy. Why? Because it means you won't have a primary. Uh, you also have every incentive to cut deals with the big players in your state capital, like in Ohio, First Energy or those for-profit charter school companies, because while the people back home can't get rid of you because their district's so one-sided, they can get rid of you if they don't like you. So what's happened since 2011 is not only that they are getting majorities they don't deserve, but to a person, there's no accountability left in their world of politics. And that's why, as Jane explains her story, and I explain this book, and I'm going to name drop it here. If you're interested in this stuff, it's called Laboratories of Autocracy. It goes through all this, but also what we what we all have to do about it. And that, that's why the extremism is so far beyond where the people of these states actually stand. Ohio is a pro-choice state by, by a long shot. So right. is Texas. So is Kansas, right? We learned that. Right. The reason these legislatures are acting so extreme and able to get away with it is because of a, of a gerrymandered system where almost to a person, not a single legislator in these districts can be held accountable. And that has turned. And, and I don't even know if people in 2011, when they drew these districts, realized just how out of control and unhinged these di- these places would get. But that's what happens when you literally have people in power with no accountability at all back to the citizens. Absolutely. So let's kind of break down how that happened, because as you've highlighted, 
uh, you know, what happens in Ohio has happened in other states as well, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Um, and so how did Ohio, what was the redistricting process then in 2011? And how did Ohioans attempt to change that with the ballot initiatives in 2015 and 2018? So basically they had this massive closed door process, literally, and I go through in detail in this, in, in the book, literally they called the room they rented at a hotel down the street, the bunker. Right. That's not our name for it. That was their name. <laughs> yes. They shared all the maps in advance. It was all closed door. They ca- they're calling it a John Boehner. He approved of it. Kasich, who now says he's moderate, he was part of all this. Right. And so they drew these God awful districts. And it was very clear by even 12, how bad they were. Again, Obama wins Ohio by four, yet they get 12 members of Congress and Democrats only get four. It makes no sense. It's not a democracy. So Ohioans said, the hell with this system. And twice, 70% plus of Ohio voters voted to change it. It was broken. Everyone could see. They changed the Ohio Constitution. I was proud to be part of these efforts. And the change basically said, no more secret meetings. You can't unduly help one party through the process. It must be bipartisan, or there's some real sort of uh, standards that will basically mean the map is struck down. The voters overwhelmingly said, we know the system's broken. Right. And what did the legislature do in 2022? They basically ignored the law for seven months. Uh, and so it, they basically said, we don't care about the rule of law. We're as lawless as January 6th was, but we're going to do it through maps we passed. But it's no different. It, it, it's as unconstitutional and lawless, as undemocratic as January 6th. They didn't storm a building. They just ignored the Ohio Constitution because they don't want to give power over to a different approach to to divvying up these districts. And sadly, you know, to cut to the chase, they broke the law for so long that one of their right-wing allies was able to go to federal court and say, we have an emergency. We must impose one of the maps that's been struck down by the Ohio Supreme Court. So the Ohio Supreme Court struck down seven different times the maps that, that, that they drew as unconstitutional. And two Trump-appointed federal judges said, okay, we're going to apply one of the maps that's actually unconstitutional. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm whining to non-Ohio folks, but it's basically just, sorry, there is no rule of law in Ohio. Um, we're, we're still fighting. I mean, we have Supreme Court um uh, elections up this November, et cetera, et cetera. But basically the Ohio voters said, and this is what, again, around the country, the last five years, state houses are routinely ignoring the voters of their states. In Florida, they changed the law so that, that ex-felons could vote. And the state house just ignored it. In hmm. Missouri, they had a referendum that said, we want Medicaid expansion. And the, the state house said, we're just not going to fund it. So this is not new in Ohio. These state houses are so beyond the law at this point and so beyond the people, even when people say through their own direct voting, we want change, just like they did in Ohio. These these as again, the book is called Laboratories of Autocracy. Let's be clear. I'm referring to state houses. They are the laboratories of autocracy. They are to the point now where they simply ignore their own voters. They've done it here. They've gotten away with it for the next two years. My hope is, though, if we keep fighting and we elect some more justices in the Ohio Supreme Court, we can stop there in their tracks come December or January. But, but, right. but it goes back to what I said. The single most important part of what they are doing to attack democracy 
and to impose essentially minority extremist rule on all of us is the state house gerrymander. That's their number one tool. And that's why they fought so hard despite violating the law seven times, basically, to keep an unconstitutional gerrymander in place. Without that gerrymander, their extremism, their horrific public outcomes, they would all lose and they know it. The gerrymander is the key to continuing their extremism. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All right. Of course, I want to make sure my co-host Ben Kissel and Fernando get a chance to ask some questions as well. But uh, you highlighted Laboratories of mm-hmm. Autocracy. Again, that's the book. It's a play on uh, former Supreme Court Justice Brandeis, his, his term of crucibles of democracy. Oh, right? I love it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and again, like uh, David has pointed out here, it's almost the opposite. Um, what What is what makes it so when these districts are, you know, again, safe red or, you know, in some instances they might be safe blue. Um, but what are the, some of the most extreme things we're seeing from at least in Ohio and also from around the country? Mm-hmm. You know, the abortion laws you pointed sure. out, the lack of accountability when you do have political scandals like we have in Ohio with First Energy or uh, pay to play, payday lending, uh, uh, charter schools that are just bribing politicians mm. with no accountability. What's some of the most extreme stuff that you highlight in your book that and Jane also highlighted in that great New Yorker article? There's an extreme attack on democracy. The minute you see a legislature attacking the independence of courts, banning books, censoring history, mm-hmm. changing the way votes are counted. I mean, this is literally like Viktor Orban, Hungary, Putin style attack on democracy. I worry that we don't see it that way in America because we're overconfident in our own democracy. That if we saw something in another country where a legislature was literally changing the way that courts could oversee them. I mean, that's a massive red flag, isn't it? Or (laughs) banning books, for God's sakes. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are literally red flags. So one aspect of extremism is the nonstop attack on democracy itself. You know, multiple steps in each of these states. Number two is corruption. The MO of these places, and it's driven by groups like the Koch brothers, and again, the energy utilities, for-profit schools, it's a, they see these state houses as their way to get their hands on public money. So it's a massive transfer of public assets to the private. Right. And it ends up being corrupted, as we've seen in Ohio, in multiple ways over and over again. It also means we're seeing dramatic declines in public outcomes. If you pull millions or hundreds of millions or billions out of your public school system to give to for-profit scams like online school systems that we had that weren't even taking attendance, you're going to see a rapid decline in your public schools. If you pull money out of infrastructure, you're going to see collapsing roads and 
utility mm-hmm. grids like in Texas where people froze to death, small towns decaying mm-hmm. and dying. That's what we're seeing in states like Ohio. And I go through it as proud of, as I am of Ohio. In the last 20 years, the results by any public measure, whether it be student debt, right. uh, school quality, people moving, they're just plummeting. Right. But because you can't get rid of these people, nothing happens about it. And the other form, though, of the, the other extreme. So that's the second extreme is the corruption, the movement of public assets to private. The third is the extreme social stuff that in a normal election like a Kansas referendum would never succeed. It's not just that they're saying to the 10 year old rape victim, sorry, you must deliver. You know, a couple months ago in Ohio, you guys probably saw this. There's so there's apparently one transgender athlete that anyone has yes. seen in Ohio in recent years. But to deal with what they consider that crisis, obviously not a crisis, they passed a bill in the Ohio House requiring the inspections of girls on demand playing sports in like middle school and high school. General inspections. Right. Uh, Talk about insane. By the way, the point of all this is if you were in anywhere near a normal district and your record included your schools are collapsing. You required inspections on demand of a kid of kids' genitals, and you said ten year old rape victims must deliver, you would literally lose the next election, 80-20. Right. So the right. reason they have to keep gerrymandering is they know that that the results of their quote service, and it's no longer public service, it's service to extremists and private interests, the results that they're putting together would cost them in any normal democracy. And that's why they have to keep gerrymandering. So the, and, and one other point about laboratories of autocracy, the problem, I wish it was only an Ohio problem, but all these states, and this is why I call the book what it is, they're all learning from each other all the time. So if right. the don't say gay bill passes in Florida, it right. comes to Ohio two weeks later. Right. If, if the abortion ban is held up by a court in one state, every other state writes its abortion ban to read just like that one. So they have a whole infrastructure they put together where they share what they're doing. And the minute something works in one place, they mm-hmm. do it everywhere else. If something fails in one place, they all learn from it. So the reason it feels like it's accelerating is the extremism is unchecked in each state, but they're also sharing what they're doing amongst themselves in all the states they, they control. It reminds me almost of uh, smart cars. Obviously, in this case, it's very dumb people, but they have a very <laughs> um, smart way of getting their policies through. And that's they learn from each other. Yeah, it's mm. a fascist little smart car. And I guess my question is why? What do you think the end game is here? As you talked about, the vast majority of people are against these policies. Polling does not back up uh, what these people are doing, but yet they're getting away with it. I think a lot of people have the question, why? So the big frame on why, and I often talk about this straight up. There is a group of people, and it's a combination of economic interests, right-wing social interests, and let's be very clear, white supremacy that doesn't want to live in a diverse democracy. That Mm. together is a minority worldview that doesn't want to lose a loss they know they would lose if they were in a real democracy. These people are under no illusions that they represent a majority. Mitch McConnell knows it. That's why he tells Rick Scott to always be quiet, right? (laughs) They know that that Kansas referendum abortion would be their fate if they ran around trying to ban abortion everywhere. 
So the end game, it's a combination of, you know, and, and Peter Thiel, the guy who's funding J.D. Vance. Yeah. They know that their economic worldview is something that would be rejected by most Americans. This intense form of trickle down where a few people to talk, keep everything and everyone else has to pay more in taxes, get rid of Social Security, et cetera. Together, they know that their worldview is a deeply minority worldview. And but they understand that democracy can be subverted if you make an end run at state houses. So I think their end goal coming from different parts of this sort of very right wing world is how do we get our minority worldview locked into place over time against a majority who disagree with us? And the way they do it is is, again, they want to win federal races when they can. But it's essentially if you look at the best way, you know how they're doing this. When Trump won and they had the House and Senate and Trump for two years, what did they do? Almost nothing. Right. They literally got judges in and they did a tax cut. Yes. Why? Because almost everything else they want to do in their agenda goes through state houses where no one's paying attention. But but the commonality mm. to your question is it's it's an economic it's a, they call it economic liberty, but it's a very extreme view of economics. No regulations, no taxes. It's a very extreme social view, you know, um, going, taking us back 50 to 100 years on things like abortion, contraception, other things. And it's it's a resistance to a diverse democracy and things like when Obama won, they realized, my God, we're totally in the minority here. And they want to use state houses to lock in that minority worldview. And, and sadly, until everyone else wakes up about it, they're succeeding. And so one of the things I'm always doing is saying, the Democratic side is confident that it has a majority worldview, and it does for the most part. And it's overconfident democracy. So it runs around saying, hey, if all we do is win federal swing state races for Senate and House, we're going to win. The other side's making an end run at state houses where we don't approach. They're going to win if they keep doing their battle while we only stick to our narrow battle. Because their battle is much deeper. It's for democracy itself to lock in a minority worldview. So that's their game. In our game, if we're going to succeed, we have to see we're in a battle for democracy itself, and we've got to go to the battle that they're fighting and take it on directly, as opposed to just stubbornly thinking, if all we do is keep winning a few federal seats, which we'll win in some good years and lose some bad years, as if that's enough to succeed in this much bigger for battle for democracy that we're in. It's not. We have to adjust. Do you think that the Democratic elites care enough? This is one issue we have with Roe v. Wade being overturned. Joe Biden is personally pro-life. He has said it before. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, politically, he is not because politicians, you know, they go with the will of the people and he understands he's from Delaware. And that would be the proper choice to be pro-choice, obviously, politically. But do you think they care enough, truly care enough to be livid with what's going on to the working class people in this country? I mean, at the end of the day, Schumer and Pelosi are fine. You know, we still can't get these motherfuckers not to be in Wall Street. We still can't get them to not insider trade. That's mm -hmm. our liberal party. I mean, do they care enough? I, I think, you know, there are going to be dis different disagreements on some issues. But I think that they're in such a federal world that I worry that they're only very lately figuring out what the other side's really up to. Like, because once you figure out what they're up to, that's when you have to come to this very big bleak conclusion. My God, this is a much bigger fight than I knew I signed up for. We are in the same fight John Lewis was in about, about democracy. We really are. It is a long struggle when it's about democracy. It's far more than the next cycle. It's far more than winning a few Senate seats against goofballs like Mehmet Oz. 
If we win the Senate seats but lose the Secretary of State offices where election deniers are running and we don't right. gain state house seats, we're not winning. Right. And coming to that conclusion, once you realize that, it it tells you that I don't care where you're on the Democratic Party, we got a lot more work to do. We got to start sharing funds across this country in a way that we just haven't been. It, one, one way to address it, we know that trickle down doesn't work in, in uh, economies, right? Mm-hmm. Trickle down in economics is a joke. The only thing that it, trickles down is the cost. We talk right, about it all what? the time. It doesn't work in politics either. So the uh, idea that we're going to flood hundreds of millions to six senators and that's somehow going to win us the Arizona State House, that's not working. It, we're winning. We thought we won. And sorry, I get a little fired up like you guys do. <laughs> we thought we won what we were supposed to win in 20, didn't we? Hey, the White House, 50 Senate seats and the House. Does it feel like we're winning the battle for democracy? No. If you think you won and then later you realize you didn't, it means your battle plan is pretty fucked up, doesn't it? Right. It's pretty bad. And, and it's because yeah. we're not challenging ourselves to dive deeper, dig deeper, and realize winning those Senate seats is critical. But if you don't dig deeper and start clawing back where they are dominating, mm-hmm. you're basically always on defense. They're always on offense and they're always going to win. So I think people see it. I think they're waking up to it. But I think that the, there's got to be a much broader sort of movement of the giant ship so that we don't only get excited about a few sexy Senate races. We're not only giving $100 million to Amy McGrath because we'd hate Mitch McConnell at the same time that dozens of state house districts in Kentucky and Ohio are literally unchallenged. We have to broaden our battlefield. And I do think that change clearly is tougher. And, you know, it's funny. I always say if you took a rounding error, a, a single digit percentage of the amount of money we put into a presidential race, and you divided them among 50 states every single year and gave it to state house candidates, not only would you do better in the presidential year, you'd be saving democracy all over, right? And I always, people, I always assume some big donor would say, why do we ever do that? Take money away from the presidential? Who would ever do that? You know what my answer would be? The Koch brothers. That's what they did. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Koch brothers decided we want a battle for democracy. We need to subvert it to get our worldview into place, our anti-climate change, trickle down worldview. We will best get that done if we lock up state houses. And they took a bunch of money. They still give a lot to the presidential and they made an end run at state houses. And so core mission for them is control democracy through states. That needs to be our core mission, too. And and to your question, I just think that the challenge of going that deep is imposing enough that people still they'd rather just go every two years and win. the. And, you know, you guys remember the movie Mm. Back, Back to School? With our uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. (laughs) We're always trying to do the triple Lindy. If we just pull off a few Senate seats every two years, (laughs) we save the day and we hang on for two more years instead of actually doing the long-term build. So you're not only trying to perform a miracle every two years, because sometimes you win, sometimes you won't. You never know what candidate's going to flame out in the Senate race if we saw North Carolina two years ago. If you're investing more deeply so you're competing everywhere – over time, it's easier for yourself, just like it is for them. They lost in 20, but they still won because they were the ones who kept all the state houses they need to keep. We have to start competing up to there. And again, I, this is a long answer. I just don't think that even if people are alarmed by the problem, and I'm starting to sense that Biden is, but the change that you have to make to actually fight more effectively is a big change. And by the way, back to your question too. 
Where I get worried they're not fighting hard enough is especially in the U.S. Senate. To allow the filibuster to stop bills that would protect democracy in states is outrageous, is outrageous. And I don't even blame only Cinema and Manchin for this. Every Democratic senator should literally be saying, I am not leaving this chamber until we address this. Be so upset about it, like Chris Murphy's done on guns, by the way. Be so upset about it that all America's thinking, my God, this must be bad. They're not behaving normally. Make them do a standing filibuster. Make Chuck Grassley, who whined about missing a family union, make him sit in that chamber for a month (laughs) if he wants Mm. to fight democracy in states. Make it hard. And what I worry about the U.S. Senate is when you go through business as usual and you let them filibuster protecting democracy in states at the moment it's being attacked, and you don't even treat it any differently. What what do the Texas Democrats do? They left the state. I'm talking about going a little more crazy when they're attacking democracy, like in Texas, like in other states, like Wendy Davis did all those years ago. I, I think to your question, I think the U.S. Senate especially needs to be fighting a lot harder and making it more clear what the stakes are. Because if you go through just the motions of the usual fight and it looks like politics as usual, then the average American's going to think, well, it must not be that bad because they're not fighting right. for it if it's that bad. So I do want to see more fight from the people when they have a chance, like they do in the Senate, to pass real protections for voters of democracy in states. You know, the optimal word that stood out to me in that whole sentence was sense. You sense Biden is getting a little bit more serious. Why do we have to read the tea leaves? Yeah. Where I, is the person who is just going to tell us what is happening, why it's wrong, and how they're going to fix it. Because right now, it's just been an infuriating midterms. We find out the Democrats are financing Carrie Lake, Finchman, mm-hmm. again, out of Arizona, right. Secretary of State. Everyone knows these anti-democracy, um, uh, anti-election believers. They're all running for Secretary of State. They have very strategic positions that they're running for based on their skill sets. Why has it been so difficult to get the message out that we're going to be screwed if these people have their worldview win. How I just don't I, understand. I, I think people. It, I isn't. Think people, I mean, the left is supposed to be the 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 message of they're supposed to have like entertainers in Hollywood and and <laughs> the, the uh, people who are creative. Right. Uh, how can't they message this? I still think there's work to be done. And, and I saw something the other day where Biden met with a bunch of historians over the threat to democracy, and I was glad to see that because if you read your history, you realize. We've been here before, and it's what got us Jim Crow, okay? Mm. It, we have Jim Crow because they be, there was a new, vibrant Southern democracy for several decades, and Southern racists said no more, and they began attacking Southern black voters brutally. And I go through this in my book, and they destroyed, they destroyed a new black electorate in a matter of 10 years. And that's allowed Jim Crow for 80 years. So we've been here. When people decide to attack democracy, it can succeed. And I worry that we're still we're all in this privileged 30, 40 year moment where we've all people have started to take democracy for granted as if it can't go away. And I worry that's still kind of a lot of people's mindsets. And so there isn't the alarm about democracy. There should be. I mean, again, I'm glad they're they're doing some good things on economics, but not. And again, I, I support Biden overall. But when Biden went to I think he went to Georgia in January. Right. And he said something like, 
I've been silent for too long. I was like, why would you ever have been silent about the attack on democracy? <laughs> why did we wait all of 2021 and all of a sudden it's 22, so it's too late? Here's another example, and we well, talked about this early. Do you know that in, in Ohio, the Republicans were found to have violated the Ohio Constitution seven times? Wow. And what do they do after they find to violate it? They keep going and going and going. They never stop. Do you know what happened after the Senate had one vote on the voting bills in January or February? They've never brought it up again. It's like they're embarrassed. But if the other side loses seven times and keeps going, which they've done in Ohio for 10 years, and you quit after one vote, as if you're embarrassed you even tried, who's going to win? They're going to win. So, so I think politically we have to organize a certain way. But back to your point, yeah, there's got to be a little more fight on our side because they're going for broke and they will keep going. And if you're going to quit after one failed vote, you know, you're not going to win against people who will never, ever stop. Right. Well, and mm. and you do highlight, I mean, obviously, we don't want to be completely doom and gloom, but in your book, Laboratories of Autocracy, you do have some solutions. You hint that the fight is still ongoing. Um, what are some of the highlights you feel that people who can get involved, not just Democrats, but independents, moderates who are yeah. uh, afraid of all the extremism well, happening all over the country? Absolutely. And even, you know, conservative Republicans. We saw Liz Cheney concede uh, this week in Wyoming. Sure. Uh, you know, the fight for democracy. See, there is, I guess, one of the silver linings is it is making strange political bedfellows where it's like, yeah. I disagree with you on economic policy, but I do believe in a fair vote. <laughs> the election, and so yes. I guess that's the broad thing. The, you the know, low bar. It's a very low bar, but yes. Yeah, to, so let uh, me, and I'm glad you're pivoting this because I give speeches almost every night and my book's the same thing. I want people to be shocked by where things are because right, unless you're right. shocked, I don't think we're going to act the way we should. But. Once you're shocked, I'm hoping I'm inspiring action mm -hmm. and smarter action. Once you realize we're in a battle for democracy, everything looks a little different. And all those who are listening, who are active, my hope is once you've read the book or listened to me or whatever, that your actions all are towards that bigger battle. That way we'll all be more effective. And I go through 30 specific steps that we all can take to fight for democracy much smarter than we have been. And well, I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. Pepper, that's way too many steps. That's 30 so steps. Actually, that's 30 we're going <laughs> to actually have to end the interview here. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. So, <laughs> Yeah. No, I know it's too many. That's why people need to read the book. But I'll just give a couple <laughs> examples. One, the U.S. Senate needs to do its job. That's one of the steps. But if you are in a blue state, adopt a, adopt a state house like Arizona where they're only two seats shy of a majority, or Michigan, they're only two seats shy. Pennsylvania, only 12 seats shy. There, there's a, there are different groups. One is called Sister District. One is called the States Project, where people are adopting states that we can win and volunteer or give support to help flip them. Mm -hmm. If you're in a state like Ohio, where purging of voters from the rolls has been their number one source of attacking the Obama coalition, use your footprint in your world to register voters. If you run a restaurant, Register everyone who comes in. If you run a barbershop, register everyone whose hair you're cutting. Sherrod Brown, who was Secretary of State, convinced McDonald's to have a voter registration form on every single tray. Right. Wow. Think about that's amazing. All the, you know, that's how you start lifting democracy. One of the things I call on to individual citizens, if you care about democracy, fighting for it for them is a full-time, often taxpayer-paid-for operation. For us, we've got to scale it up. It can't just be a few hours of volunteering for a candidate in the middle or late end of a cycle. 
Think of, again, if you're on the board of a homeless shelter or you volunteer for one, is your homeless shelter registering voters every day? If it's not, it should be. Right. Have that conversation. Um, on and on and on. If you're the mayor of a city in a red state especially, do, are your rec centers registering every voter who comes in? Are your health clinics, are your libraries? We've got to incorporate lifting democracy into every single thing we do. That, to me, is the only way we're going to get the scale we need to battle what is a full-time, massively funded effort to subvert democracy in states. And, and, and politically, all I would say is don't just get excited about seven sexy Senate races, although we, we need to win those. Oh, yeah. When I think of John Fetterman, I think sex appeal. (laughs) Okay, exactly. By the way, I just saw the Mandela Bards is up on Ron Johnson. Huge opportunity. Huge. So help those races. But we can't have another 20 where we win our federal seats, but we lose everything else. Focus on state Supreme Court races, which after Dobbs, state Supreme Courts are going to be the guardians of democracy and rights like abortion in many states like Ohio. Help pick up state house seats. Help. Not just the swing ones, but you do have. Do you know how damaging it is to democracy that we allow dozens of districts in all these states go unchallenged? Can mm. you imagine being an extremist mm. who passed that crazy abortion law, no exceptions for a ten-year-old rape victim, the general inspection law? Can you imagine passing those and not even having a, an election, your re-election, because no <laughs> well, one ran against you? Right. We've got to start challenging extremism in every corner of every state. And when someone runs for these seats, even if they're tough seat, don't walk away. Thank them for, for being a patriot and help them out. So there's yeah. all sorts of ways. But if we don't start bringing accountability back to these state level positions and taking on extremists through candidates everywhere, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. There's a I lot mean, more to it, but but that's some of the heart of it. And, well, and again, this is John Lewis would say to us. What the hell did you think it was going to be about? It's always been a contest <laughs> over democracy. It's never been sort of game over. We're safe in a de- democratic world. The f- there are people who have a lot of interest in pulling democracy down. They're always been there in our history. What determines the outcome is how hard those who care about democracy fight for it. And this is a moment where we got to fight for it a lot harder and a lot smarter than we've been fighting for it over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Thank you again, Mr. Pepper. Yeah, thank you so much, David. Oh, my God. I love it. The more fired up you are. You guys got me dropping F-bomb. I normally don't do that. No, that's all right. You're allowed to do that on the show. And you also also dropped a great Rodney Dangerfield movie reference, which our fans are also going to (laughs) love. Yeah. It really is the case. I actually went back and watched a triple Lindy. Like, when you were trying to win... 
there every election is like if we just win this 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 and this we save democracy like don't make it so hard for yourself let's <laughs> yeah. actually right. invest everywhere we get a bet we get a better chance of winning everywhere if we do it yeah absolutely, absolutely. you mentioned how people will run uh, uncontested and these people are oftentimes batshit crazy mm -hmm. because again they run in gerrymandered districts where they know for a fact they're going to win once they get through whatever primary they're going to get through can you talk about the importance of losing an election it's okay to lose right right i think a lot of people we have like adam kinzinger for example there's a lot of anti-Trump Republicans uh, that have just said, I'm not running They're anymore. Leaving, right? I'm done then. I'm going to take yeah. my bag and go home. <laughs> what is wrong with losing we sometimes? To, because you need, go on. I, I put this in my book and I try to do this as chair. We treat candidates like crap all over this country. If they're not in a swing area, we literally act like they are garbage. And what we should be doing is saying, wait a second, someone calls you out of the blue. Hey, what's your district look like? Well, it's a pretty tough one. It's like 65-35. Most people try to get off the phone. The hmm. answer should be, oh my God, thank you for running. That is right. just, mm -hmm. your public service began the day you started running because you're defying what they want to do, which was give people no choice. Thank you for running in a really hard district. And because you are, yeah, I'll help you. And I'll try and get some volunteers in the area. I'll give you some dollars. You're a freaking hero for running. You're making the harder decision to run in the way that our friend Amy Cox is in a tough district in Ohio. Thank you. In fact, I believe this so much. I started something that some of your listeners may be interested in called Blue Ohio. And it's my effort to start bending the curve so we don't only give the swing Senate races, but almost the exact opposite. We start giving to people running in the hardest places. Because these people normally, who are they running against? The extremists. Mm -hmm. We want them to have enough money and enough bandwidth to at least shed some light on what the extremists are doing, even if you said they lose. I'd rather have every voter in the district know how insane their person is versus never even hear about it. So we better run against them. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of us better help them by enough that they can send a mailer explaining it. So Blue Ohio is a monthly membership crowdfunding operation that says we're going to help the people who have the least money in their coffers have enough money to do something in their very tough run against extremists. We are about to have crossed over the 1,000-member threshold in under three months. And every month, those 1,000 members are kicking in 10 or 15 or 20 bucks. And over the years, again, everything about this has to be a long game. My goal over years is to have 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 people. So over time, we can say we built this other states too. Hey, are you running in any district in Ohio in a tough district? Here's $10,000 to help you get started. Thank you wow. for running. That also might make recruiting easier too, wouldn't it? So the point is, we're going to, people in the swing races, we need to help them and they're going to get help. We need to lift everybody else to right. do what you just said to show them that running itself is a massive value once you realize it's a battle for democracy. Leaving these seats uncontested is a disaster once you realize it's a battle for democracy. And it's why extremism exploding, not having a challenger mm -hmm, after mm -hmm. after passing crazy stuff is like catnip. Oh, my God, I can keep doing that forever. Right. No one even challenges me. So we have to start changing the incentives, but also changing our infrastructure. So we're rewarding and celebrating people running in tough districts, which is something we just we've just never done. 
and it's really costing us. Yeah, and oftentimes you hear someone lost, you know, they, they got 35% of the vote, but that's tens of thousands of human beings yes. right. that Correct. still supported that person. I mean, Travis got 80,000 people uh, when he ran for governor, which was, it, it was 1.8%, you're 1.8%, 80,000 human beings, and that matters. And let's yes. be clear, too, there's nothing better for Tim Ryan, and this isn't happening this year for various reasons, or Stacey Abrams in the future than if they have a well-funded state house candidate in every single state house district, because it lifts turnout as well. Right. And often these will be the very districts, and this is again what Blue Ohio is all about. People go to blueohio.org if you're interested in this. It's all about filling the districts that a lot of statewide candidates will never have the resources to create a good field operation in. They're they're pretty red. But they're Democrats in all these places. We need to knock on those doors. So by having candidates in all these districts with enough to support to run a campaign, it doesn't only help shed light on that extremist in their district. Mm -hmm. And again, occasionally they'll win. It also lifts turnout and interest in all corners of the state. It also means that Democrats have a message in all corners of the state, which lifts everybody. You know, can you imagine in 2020 in Georgia, Arizona and Ohio, these swing districts? Each of those states had 15 or 20 or more uncontested districts wow. in a year where everything was on the line. We can't allow that to happen going forward. And Absolutely. this is a model, but this is our model. How everyone should be thinking in their states, how can we make sure we're recruiting and supporting people in a way that we run everywhere and we hold extremists accountable everywhere? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the battle continues. Run for office. Ben has run for office. I've run for office. You've run for office, David. And uh, the, the battle continues. The book is Laboratories yep. of Autocracy. Um, check it out by David Absolutely. Pepper. I apologize we didn't get to your new, new book, A Simple Choice, uh, but you can check that out as well. David yep. Pepper on yep. Twitter. And also check out the great New Yorker article, State Legislatures Are Torching Democracy by Jane Mayer. I'm going to force one more question. I also have one more question. I did want to yeah. give one last okay. plug, though. Okay, Thank go you. on, Thank go on, we, Travis. We, authors love a book plug. So I'll take That's it. right. And again, the blueohio.org. Uh, I've sat on a couple of their brown bag lunches. They're very entertaining and very informative. So I do encourage your model, hopefully, to spread to other states. My final question. Final question. We've talked about this man <laughs> on the show. Speaking of extremists, in the past year, we've played clips of him yelling at state legislatures yeah, yeah. And, and legislators. <laughs> Who's it going to be? I literally don't know who it could be because oh, there's so get, many psychos. Get, there's so many psychos we've played, but this one hits home to David's hometown of Cincinnati. Bill Seitz, why oh. is this man so <laughs> obsessed with you on Twitter? He only pops out every few months to attack David Pepper on Twitter. Specifically, uh, the most memorable in the last few months was after the ridiculous re redistricting decision made in the federal court that you referenced earlier. Bill Seitz goes on Twitter to attack David Pepper and say, too bad, so sad. Well, you liberals have some milk and... Go to sleep Not now. a household name, Travis. Who is he? Well, he, we played him on the show last summer when he mm -hmm. yelled at another state legislator <laughs> named Amelia Sykes. I believe his exact words were, you will not interrupt me, madam. And then they had to cut the tape on the Ohio channel. <laughs> right. so, what the hell is wrong with this guy, I mean, Bill Sykes, David? <laughs> you know, part of it, I've known Bill a long time. He's also from Cincinnati. Right. Um, I, I think part of it is when I go testify at the state house, I don't I don't drop F bombs or mention um, Rodney Dangerfield, but I don't <laughs> I'm not try polite it. either. Right, right, right. Mm. And and I, I go right to these meetings and I I'm very direct about what they're doing. 
And they love the civility. They love the witnesses who are trying to sort of reverential of the surroundings. I'm, I'm not going to give them that. I'm a nice guy overall, by the way. But they, the, the politeness is normalizing their attack on democracy. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason Bill Seitz, who, who again, know personally, I've known for a long time, does not like what I do is because I'm very blunt about how awful they are. And I right. do think, as I said about, again, if I were in the U.S. Senate, I would say, I'm sorry, Chuck Grassley, you're not going to your family reunion if I'm in charge. You're not, if you want to filibuster democracy, you are not leaving this room. And if you have to go to the bathroom or call on the roll right when you do it, <laughs> we need to get tougher. And if you ever look through my Twitter feed, I have a few videos. That's what I do when I testify. And Bill Sites and these guys, they don't like being directly confronted in a way that, again, I'm not cursing at them, but I'm not going to be polite either. And mm. so clearly, if you look at his response to me, he doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, and and uh, he doesn't like that I'll mock him. I mean, these guys, now Bill's a smart guy. Let me let me be clear. He, he's actually a pretty accomplished lawyer. Most of these people are, as I go through my book, totally unimpressive. They, mm. so much of this is the fear they have that in a real election, they'd get crushed. This right. is not, this is not who we should be sending to our state house. I don't care. Forget their views for a second. Oh, many of these people are simply not people who should be in public office. They can't, uh, some of them, like, well, there's a guy in my book, I literally don't name him because it would seem so mean. He can't give a four-sentence speech without, you know, tr- struggling. So <laughs> right. a lot of these people literally are not ready for prime time. And the only reason that they're in office is because of districts they can never lose. And right. it's a problem. And, and I don't think they appreciate that I point some of this stuff out in my book or actually when I'm face-to-face with them in person. Well, never a problem getting under extremist skin. Yeah. So, no, they they they're the most skin-thin people Right. Absolutely. Which is why we need to do it. They love the politeness. They love the civility. And again, I'm I'm all for civility at the right moments. Mm -hmm. But civility where they're attacking democracy itself is is a gift to them. And I'm not going to give it to them. Um, Well, my final question uh, slash point, I suppose, positive thinking positively. These people in these gerrymandered districts are having children. Is there anything to stop these gerrymandered districts from switching? Is it possible that this plan that these crazy, hardcore right-wing fanatics have put forth can, over time, dissolve? Uh, You know, just because they are gerrymandered right now and because they are super, you know, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's benefiting greatly. Lauren Boebert, these people are benefiting greatly, allowed to be extreme. Is it possible that these districts will at some point change themselves with a change of demographic? Not that we want to wait 50 yeah, uh, fucking years yes. for these people to die. <laughs> right. I mean, look what happened in Kansas. Yes. They are so extreme. I mean, do you think that even in the most gerrymandered district in Ohio, they agree with a 10-year-old girl being forced to deliver a baby as a rape? No, they don't agree with that. Uh, you go to any school in this state, I don't care about the most red district, and say, okay, time for general inspections. Everyone line up. <laughs> Both the dads and the moms are going to say over our dead bodies. (laughs) Right. So they are getting so extreme and the public outcomes are so broken. Now, the one thing I disagree with, I think you said the word dissolve. We have to fight to make it happen. Yes. We have to run everywhere and support people everywhere. We have to force it to happen. But no, that's why we should do it. And, And by the way, these people, a lot of them are doing deals that are corrupt. But if we're not running against them, they'll still win. So- but I think one of the reasons to challenge everywhere is if you challenge everywhere, you will win in some of these places because someone will be so extreme 
They will flame out or your candidate will be so good. They'll take them out. So force the issue. And I think that yes. can happen. Sit yeah. back and don't even run. If, if there weren't a referendum in Kansas the other day, we wouldn't have known if Kansas was going to vote that way. Force the issue by running everywhere and giving these candidates enough respect and support. They can muster a race. And then I think you do start to push back some on extremism and public records that are indefensible. Yes. Even in, frankly, conservative districts. So, yeah. But you got to make it happen. It won't happen on its own. If we don't do it, we keep getting what we're getting, which is locked in and unchallenged extremism. It won't unlock itself. We have to unlock it. Beautiful. Well, thank you for unlocking that for us today. Absolutely. Inspirational stuff, David Pepper. The book yep. is Laboratories of Autocracy. The other new book is A Simple Choice. Check him out on Twitter, David Pepper. Thank you so much again for adding a little bit of pepper to Abe Lincoln's right. top hat. Spice it up a little bit. Oh, man. <laughs> Thanks, <That's>... guys. Appreciate <laughs> thank you, David. David. Thank you so You're much. Wonderful. All right, everyone. There it was. Ooh. Our talk with David Pepper. Ooh, spicy. I love him. He yeah. got fired up. Hey, I love. <laughs> I love anytime you can fit in a Rodney Dangerfield movie reference. Yes. Anytime you the go back, Lindy. you go back to back to school. <laughs> <laughs> that, my friend, is a triple dimple, Lindy. A simple choice is his new book. Also, Laboratories of Autocracy was what we discussed most on this conversation or in this conversation. Again, people got us into this problem. People mm -hmm. can get us out of this mm -hmm. problem. Run for local office. Yes. And uh, what I love so much about what he said, David Pepper, that is, it doesn't matter. If you're going to lose, give people an option mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because right now people are just so disillusioned and saddened. And we didn't have a chance to really discuss the, you know, Peter Thiel's of the world where it just seemed they're not hiding anything anymore. No, there's no blatant. like right. who's the puppet master. They're out there. They right. want you to know who they are. Mm -hmm. And we know exactly what's happening. We have all the information we need to stand up against this authoritarian rule that these monsters are attempting to instill in America. Yes, and again, it comes down to those local issues like Mr. Pepper said, you know, registering people to vote at your local McDonald's or health mm -hmm. center mm -hmm. or, or rec center, whatever it may be, get people mm -hmm. involved because at the end of the day, like you pointed out, when it comes to extremist issues, most people are pretty rational, moderate, yes. independent, and, right. and there are literally more of us than there are of them. Great point too, Ben, you know, uh, David Pepper had run for state auditor, state attorney general. He lost both of those races. I ran for governor of Ohio. I lost that race. Ben ran for Brooklyn borough president, but he lost that race. And every Just single- barely. Well, exactly. <laughs> They're still counting the votes. <laughs> yeah. But in every single one of these races, we highlighted things that need to change. Ben highlighted right. saving the L train, a local issue in Brooklyn. My first which race- we, Which we helped change. We yes. helped save. Yes. It actually worked. Check out the documentary, Hail Yourself America to see how Ben changed the conversation. And years later, after he ran, eventually the politicians enforced the ideas that we were talking about. So again, there's nothing wrong with running. There's nothing wrong with losing. But we got to keep up the battle for yeah. this democracy to continue to work. And I don't know what we have to do to make state houses sexy. <laughs> but they are sexy. Democracy is hot. And that's where you really get true power. It yeah. really, if you if you are a power hungry right. dem democracy loving maniac, <laughs> run in the local state election. Right. Run for the state houses. That's where you can really make your neighbor's life better. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be invited to the barbecue again after that incident where you dropped trow on accident. Well, <laughs> you know, no one wants to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but we do want to talk about those solutions that David Pepper put forth. Check out his 
his book, Laboratories of Autocracy, mm-hmm. and check him out on Twitter. His whiteboard lectures really do, again, break down the breakdown of democracy and how we can change it. Absolutely. Fernando? Be antagonistic. I love what I love everything he said. I'm, a, you know, I'm a all antagonistic on all I levels. Know. So, uh, you know, just uh, fight, fight for what your rights mm-hmm. and don't be quiet. Don't go quietly into the dark. Don't don't be run over. Be yeah. antagonistic. And to be antagonistic doesn't mean being mean or rude. It just means telling the truth. Right. Yes. Uh, especially as these people try to do the most antagonistic thing in our lifetime, which is again strip us of our rights to vote and our rights for autonomy. So there you go. Check out Laboratories of Autocracy, David Pepper and A Simple Choice also by David Pepper. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you're doing well out there. Hope you're feeling inspired. Mm -hmm. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts— to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.